Welcome to the show. I'm Timothy Putnam, your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to examine the foundations of our faith, to explore the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together we can prepare to live outside the walls. To me, this is always a show about implications. We believe, and and that's an excellent thing, but what difference does it make? What are the implications of our faith on on our opinions, on the way we live our life? Uh, And so this is something that I'm always testing myself on and something that I'm always questioning. Uh, What does my faith have to do with economics? What does my faith have to do with, uh, with how I treat those who are around me? What is, what difference does my faith make on my parenting? What difference does my faith make on my marriage? And so everything that I encounter, the question that I ask is, what difference does my faith make? Because faith is the very core of who I am as a Catholic and as a Christian. So uh, I'm reminded of a, uh, an article by G.K. Chesterton, uh, probably in a book format, upon his own conversion to the Catholic Church. The, the essay, the book, is just called The Catholic Church and Conversion from 1926. And in that document, he talks about how many people approach faith looking for a faith that looks exactly like they already look. Uh, they look for a faith that matches who they are and not a faith that will challenge them or cause them to grow. Uh, In fact, in in one place he says this. He says, it's not that the Christian ideal has been tried and found wanting. It's that it's been found difficult and left untried. And so for me, always, the question of faith is the question of impact. What is this going to require of me? What, how is this going to change the way that I interact with, with life and with those around me? Christianity is is a faith of conversion, and not just a one-time conversion, but of continually being converted into the likeness of Christ. Well, as always, we're going to start our show today in prayer. We're going to spend some time in Scripture and with the Church Father. Then in our second and third segments, we're going to be talking about a fairly controversial issue. We're going to be talking about our Catholic response to the death penalty. And we'll be speaking with Father Brian Brooks of the Church of the Madeline here in Tulsa and his efforts in in working with the issue of the death penalty. Uh, And he's got a very interesting perspective, one that he has personal investment in. So I'm very much looking forward to that conversation. I think you will as well. And uh, then we're going to give away, uh, because it's May, it's the month of Mary, we're going to be giving away a rosary. I've got two that I'm going to give away, uh, your choice of, of one of them. Uh, one's a lovely pearl-esque kind of uh, a rosary with little beads that look like pearls. And the other one is a, a juju beadwood rosary. And then also going to be giving away with that, whichever rosary you choose, uh, a book by St. Louis de Montfort called The Secret of the Rosary. Uh, and those, both the rosary and the book comes courtesy of catholicsacramentals.org catholicsacramentals.org uh, they are a continual supporter of this show and we we are very grateful for their assistance so uh, let's go ahead and get started with the show let's open in prayer in rising from the dead christ destroyed death and restored life let us cry out to him saying lord jesus you live forever hear our prayer You are the stone rejected by the builders, which became the chief cornerstone. Make us living stones in the temple of your church. Lord Jesus, you live forever. Hear our prayer. 
You are the faithful and true witness, the firstborn from the dead. Make your church bear constant witness to yourself. Lord Jesus, you live forever. Hear our prayer. You alone are the bridegroom of the church, born from your wounded side. Make us reveal to the world the love of the bridegroom and bride. Lord Jesus, you live forever. Hear our prayer. You are the first and the last. You were dead and are alive. Keep those who have been baptized faithful until death, that they may receive the crown of victory. Lord Jesus, you live forever. Hear our prayer. Light and lamp of God's holy city, shine on our friends who have died, that they may reign forever. Lord Jesus, you live forever. Hear our prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Ever-living God, help us to celebrate our joy in the resurrection of the Lord, and to express in our lives the love we celebrate. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. We're taking our readings today from the lectionary for Saturday, May 9th, and our first reading comes from the book of Acts. Paul reached also Derby and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. The brothers in Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him, and Paul wanted him to come along with him. On account of the Jews in that region, Paul had him circumcised, for they all knew his father was a Greek. As they traveled from city to city, they handed on to the people for observance their decisions, reached by the apostles and presbyters in Jerusalem. Day after day, the churches grew strong in faith and increased in number. They traveled through the Phrygian and Galatian territory because they had been prevented by the Holy Spirit from preaching the message in the province of Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go on into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So they crossed through Mysia and came down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. A Macedonian stood before him and implored him with these words, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we sought passage to Macedonia at once, concluding that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. That reading again comes from the book of Acts, chapter 16. Today's responsorial psalm is found in Psalm 100. Let all the earth cry out to God with joy. Sing joyfully to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful song. Let all the earth cry out to God with joy. Know that the Lord is God. He made us. We are his, his people, the flock he tends. Let all the earth cry out to God with joy. The Lord is good. His kindness endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Let all the earth cry out to God with joy. The Gospel today comes from the book of John, chapter 15. Jesus said to his disciples, If the world hates you, realize that it hated me first. 
If you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you do not belong to the world, and I have chosen you out of the world, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you, no slave is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And they will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they do not know me or the one who sent me. That reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Today's reading from church history comes from St. Augustine, from a treatise on John. The church recognizes two kinds of life as having been commended to her by God. One is a life of faith, the other a life of vision. One is a life passed on pilgrimage in time, the other in a dwelling place in eternity. One is a life of toil, the other of repose. One is spent on the road, the other in our homeland. One is active, involving labor, the other contemplative, the reward of labor. The first kind of life is symbolized by the Apostle Peter, the second by John. All of the first life is lived in this world, and it will come to an end with this world. The second life will be imperfect till the end of this world, but it will have no end in the next world. And so Christ says to Peter, Follow me. But of John, he says, If I wish him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Your duty is to follow me. You are to follow me by imitating my endurance of transient evils. John is to remain until my coming when I bring eternal blessings. A way of saying this more clearly might be, Your active life will be perfect if you follow the example of my passion. But to attain its full perfection... John's life of contemplation must wait until I come. Perfect patience is to follow Christ faithfully, even to death. But for perfect knowledge, we must await his coming. Here in the land of the dying, the sufferings of the world must be endured. There, in the land of the living, shall be seen the good things of the Lord. Christ's words... I wish him to remain until I come, should not be taken to imply that John was to remain on the earth until Christ's coming, but rather that he was to wait, because it is not now, but only when Christ comes that the life he symbolizes will find fulfillment. On the other hand, Christ says to Peter, Your duty is to follow me, because the life Peter symbolizes can only attain its goal by action here and now. Yet we should make no mental separation between these great apostles. Both lived the life symbolized by Peter. Both were to attain the life symbolized by John. Symbolically, one followed, the other remained. But living by faith, they both endured the sufferings of this present life of sorrow, and they both longed for the joys of the future life of happiness. Nor were they alone in this. They were one with the whole church, the Bride of Christ, which will in time be delivered from the trials of this life and live forever in the joy of the next. These two kinds of life were represented respectively by Peter and John. Yet both apostles lived by faith in this present passing life and an eternal life. Both have the joy of vision. And so for the sake of all saints, inseparably united to the body of Christ, 
to guide them through the storms of life. Peter, the chief of the apostles, received the keys of the kingdom with the power to bind and loose sins. And for the sake of those same saints, to plumb the depths of that other hidden life, John the Evangelist reclined on the breast of Christ. For it is not only Peter, but the whole church that binds and looses from sin. And as for the sublime teaching of John about the Word, who in the beginning was God with God, and everything else he told us about Christ's divinity and about the Trinity and the unity of the Godhead, which now, until the Lord comes, is all like a faint reflection in a mirror, but which will be seen face to face in the kingdom of heaven, it was not only John who drank in this teaching that came forth from the Lord's breast as from a fountain. All who belong to the Lord are to drink it in, each according to his capacity. And this is why the Lord himself has spread John's gospel throughout the world. That reading comes from a treatise on John by St. Augustine. And it really is a challenge for us because it has to be more than just being uh, sitting in our, our vaulted ivory towers, contemplating faith and thinking about all of the doctrines of the church, right? Those, those things are important only insofar as they move us to action, right? We have to be about the mission of the church. But at the same time, there are many people out there doing good things. There are many organizations out there that are doing social justice. And just to do the work without having an understanding of, of our faith is not enough. It's a both-end proposition that we must be about the work of evangelism. We must be about the work of caring for the poor and the sick and the imprisoned. We must be about those things. And we must be about leaning against the breast of Jesus, contemplating the riches of our faith. Ultimately, at the center of everything we do is Christ. We contemplate Christ. We serve Christ. We follow after like Peter, and we wait for him like John. When we come back from this break, we'll be talking with Father Brian Brooks of Church of the Madeline here in Tulsa about the death penalty and our Catholic response to it. What are the implications of our faith regarding that important issue? You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. And we're tackling a tricky subject today. We're talking about the Catholic response to the death penalty. Of course, this show is recorded and first aired in Oklahoma. And we're right in the middle of this conversation uh, dealing with a Supreme Court case to see if there's uh, any constitutional issues with a specific kind, a specific way of execution. Uh, and so this is kind of in the forefront of, of our media, and perhaps it is in the other locations where this show is aired. So today we're going to be talking with Father Brian Brooks, who's the pastor of Church of the Madeline here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He also spearheads the efforts uh, currently in the diocese of making sure that we have a prayer presence at every execution and making sure that the, the churches in the area are informed uh, about the cases and uh, and about uh, 
our response of, of prayerfulness. So, Father Brian Brooks, welcome to the show, and thank you for being on today. Well, thank you for inviting me, Timothy, to be here on uh, outside the walls on this broadcast. Father, you haven't always held the position you have today on this on this matter. You you experienced a little bit of a conversion of thought yourself. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Oh, that's correct. Um, to let you know that the issue about the death penalty and of murder and of punishment and so on is not something that for me that is theoretical. Uh, let me give you a little background. Uh, last month, uh, we marked the 20th anniversary of the bombing of the uh, uh, Murrell uh, building, the federal building in Oklahoma City, which killed 168 uh, people. One of those that was killed was someone that I knew from a high school, Valerie Kelch from Oklahoma City. Uh, she was a member of St. Patrick's Parish uh, there uh, in the city. And she was one of the people that was killed in that, that explosion. Uh, and then Timothy McVeigh was later put to death for it by the, uh, by, uh, under the, uh, the federal government. Uh, was was convicted on uh, on uh, on those charges of murder. So this is somebody that I had a connection to. I was at Valerie's funeral. I had uh, been friends with her uh, her older brother um, uh, at that time, and so this was not something that was just a in abstraction. theory abstraction. Uh, another uh, another example is back in uh, December of 1984 when I was a, a college student. I was uh, spending some time near the Lawton area. Uh, doing some hiking and camping in the Wichita Wildlife, Wichita Wildlife Refuge. And uh, I remember hearing on the radio, uh, as I was driving into Lawton, there had been a, a quadruple murder in the small mm-hmm. town of Geronimo, which is south of Lawton. A man by the name of Jay Neal uh, went into the bank, uh, robbed it, um, killed uh, four people in the process uh, by shooting and by stabbing. Uh, would have killed uh, more, uh, but he ran out of bullets. Hmm. Uh, and I can remember, well, I won't give you an exact quote of what I thought when I heard that over the radio, <laughs> uh, but a great deal of anger rose up yeah. in me. And fast forward 18 years, uh, in uh, November of 2002, I'm speaking to Jay Neal uh, as a spiritual advisor. I've been asked by his, uh, his appellate attorney, who, uh, who was a Catholic, to be there and to talk with him. And, and I wound up being a witness to his execution and uh, mm-hmm. on December 12th, 2002. So again, this is not something that's simply theoretical or abstract. This is a very real issue. Right. And it was something that, that I've noticed in the, in the memos that you send out uh, to, the, to the diocese, to the chancery employees, and to all of the other pastors, is uh, that in your description of the crimes committed, you, you don't have necessarily even a whole, bunch of, uh, a whole lot of sympathy. Uh, you, you lay out the facts very clearly clearly and and succinctly and you let us know exactly what happened exactly what the person's accused of mm-hmm. and then yet you're still out there praying for them and praying for the end of the death penalty here in Oklahoma that's correct uh, one thing about the, the prayer vigils which began uh, under the guidance of the late father Don Brooks a priest of the Diocese of Tulsa which by the way we were we were friends but we were not related as far as we knew uh, at every vigil we pray first for the person or the persons who were murdered Mm-hmm. Uh, for for them, for their souls to be at rest, and also for their families. Uh, we also pray for the corrections officers taking part in the execution. This is not something they uh, certainly enjoy doing. It's very difficult for them. And then we pray for the person that is being put to death, mm-hmm. uh, for their soul to be at rest, and for their families as well. Yeah. So what is our Catholic response to this? Because, you know, the 
throughout history, the death penalty has been a part of, uh, of civic life. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Paul says in Scripture that the, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, I think, 10, he's talking about the the sword of the Lord is in the hand of the government and mm-hmm. we should obey governing authorities. And so, uh, you know, growing up in a very, I, I would say, very conservative background, we had this thought that, well, it's not our place to meddle in the death penalty. Mm-hmm. And and so coming into the Catholic Church uh, later in my life and, and looking at this issue afresh, um, there's been maybe a little bit of ambivalence mm-hmm. uh, and a slow conversion on my part of recognizing that the reason that we believe uh, that abortion is wrong is not because they're innocent, that, that uh, the value and the dignity of human life doesn't come because of our innocence. It comes because we're made in the image of God and, and that that is something that while we can uh, hide and distort, we can't get rid of and that it's always there. So what does the church say now? What has the church been saying uh, in recent years about the death penalty that that we should listen to and, and maybe pause? Uh, we talked a few weeks ago about the spirit of docility and weighing even opinions that we disagree with with a little bit more caution when it comes from the mouth of the church. So what is the church telling us today? Okay. In a nutshell, to break down the uh, uh, church teaching on, on the use of capital punishment um, does the state a legitimate authority uh, have the uh, the responsibility and the right to carry out a death sentence the answer the simple answer is yes mm-hmm. uh, now if you ask should the state as a legitimate authority carry out a death sentence church teaching would be no it has the authority but should not use it. Use it only in the most limited means possible. The role of the state in this matter from a Catholic viewpoint is the responsibility to protect society, mm-hmm. to carry out that responsibility. It is not to carry out an act of revenge. No matter how much our blood may boil when we hear of some of these horrific crimes that are committed, and nobody on death row is there in Oklahoma or anywhere else because they committed a minor traffic violation. They've been found guilty of murder in the first degree, often, sometimes multiple murders, but often quite, quite horrific. Uh, and when I do send out the notices uh, throughout the state, both here in our, our diocese as well as the archdiocese as well, uh, we have to be very honest about that, mm-hmm. about what, what, what is the background um, that's going on. Uh, the state has a legitimate right to protect people from violent offenders. And the state, uh, however, particularly in our time and place, can accomplish that responsibility, fulfill its duty by making sure the offender does not uh, does not uh, commit uh, any any more crimes, any more murders. And if putting a person in prison for the rest of their natural life, life without parole, or life until they are far past a, 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 a time of, of infirmity and, and illness, the state is fulfilling its role, is protecting us from society only if there is no other way to fulfill that responsibility can the state carry out an execution. I'll give you an example, and forgive me, I can't remember the the, the names and the dates. Okay. Of, uh, the, several years ago in California, uh, one of, in California it has the death penalty, but rarely carries out executions. One that they did with, I think, in the last ten years or so, was a man that had been convicted uh, of uh, of murder in prison uh, with, I think, I believe, a life without parole. But from his prison cell, was able to communicate out to other people to commit murders mm-hmm. on his behalf. 
And so the state did carry out an execution in his case. And there you could see that the, the state had that legitimate need to protect people and we could only fulfill that responsibility by, by carrying out an execution. Now that, however, should be the exception. Right. Uh, as, as the catechism clearly states, that the state has the, the, the right to do that, but can only do so when there is no other means possible. Uh, when it's and it uses the actual words uh, practically or, or essentially non-existent in the in the need to do that, particularly in Western society. Right, and, and I think that's an important thing to remember is that we are members of the Catholic Church. It's not not an American Catholic Church. It's not a, a Western Catholic Church. It's the Catholic Church. And so, when the Catechism speaks, when when the the Pope speaks, he's speaking to people in many different cultures and some cultures may not have the means that we have. And so there is this need to, to not completely uh, eliminate that possibility for, for developing countries that may not have the infrastructure that we have. Uh, But to also realize that when they're talking about exceptions, they may not be talking about exceptions for our context. That is correct. Uh, So I'm interested in, uh, you know, this is something that maybe the church hasn't always said. And we say, of course, that the church doesn't uh, change her doctrine, that doctrine develops, uh, but doesn't, doesn't reverse itself. So uh, how does, how does this, um, this maybe what can be perceived as a change, how does it fall into more of a, um, a development and not just a reversal? Right. I would not say that the, 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 current teaching about the death penalty is a reversal. You do see the continuum in that uh, we would not be an absolutist on uh, mm-hmm. position to abolish the death penalty uh, just across the board. Rather, it has to be the manner in which it's carried out. Uh, there are all sorts of issues concerning uh, uh, social and economic issues of those who wind on death death row. Also, so there's some, at times elements of race that figure, figure into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've just, I think... Uh, recently released uh, the 153rd inmate from death row somewhere in the United States that was released uh, uh, because of either actual innocence or the conviction was overturned uh, on appeal. And and so you have, I think, uh, uh, a lack of confidence in the criminal justice system to get it right. And if we're going to give the state the right to to carry out an execution, uh, then it's on us as faithful citizens to demand the state do so in a way that is competent uh, and that is and that is fair mm-hmm. and but going back to the, the idea about the continuum again the the, the church uh, allows for the use of the death penalty but in the rarest circumstances not as a means of revenge but as a means to fulfill its responsibility to protect society for the good uh, for the common good mm-hmm. what's developed over the last perhaps 50 years and uh, you see the the great bloodbath of the 20th century mm-hmm. and the in the use of the uh, of the death penalty in many totalitarian regimes and I think that's perhaps where Pope Saint Pope John Paul II was coming from uh, when he began to speak uh, about about the use of the death penalty and to really to put a, a narrow it down uh, that there is the right of the state but the right is not absolute right. to narrow that right to as little as possible having come out of the experience of Poland during the Second World War. Well, Father, we're coming up on a break. So let's take a moment, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation. If you want to join the conversation, come on over to facebook.com slash step outside the walls, or Twitter, our handle is at outside the walls. 
We're talking with Father Brian Brooks of the Church of the Madeline about our Catholic response to the death penalty here on Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. This is Timothy Putnam, and we're talking today with Father Brian Brooks of the Church of the Madeline in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He is the spearhead of the the efforts in the state to always have a prayer vigil uh, at uh, at the executions that occur in the state uh, at, on on death row. There's there's one at down. Uh, in front of the prison, and then there are some in various churches around the state, where uh, where Catholics can gather together to pray for the victims, uh, to pray for the executioners, and to pray for those who are being executed. So we're talking to him today about the Catholic response to the death penalty, uh, which, you know, in my own history, uh, growing up as conservative uh, Protestant. Uh, we were in favor of that, opposed to uh, abortion, uh, pro-life uh, in, in every way that we knew how. Uh, and yet, for us, we were pro-life not because that child was made in the image of God uh, alone, but because it was innocent life. And so it's been, a, it's been a journey for me to come to see that all life, from conception to natural death, bears inherent dignity just by very virtue of the fact that they're made in the image of God, not because we deserve it, not because we're innocent, but because we look like God and God uh, is found in us. And in, uh, in, to the extent that in Matthew 25, uh, Christ said, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done to me. And so when we feed the poor, we've fed Christ, that we find Christ in them, uh, not because they are divine, but because Christ is in us. Uh, and he says, you didn't, you, you visited me in prison, whatever you've done to the least of these you've done to me. And so, uh, we have an obligation to see the person and to see Christ in the person. So just before the break, father, we were talking about really being not completely sure, uh, of, you know, not having our, our confidence in, in the state's ability uh, to correctly identify the person, being a little shaken because of the 150-plus people who have been uh, taken off of death row. Uh, and so there, there's a quote in the catechism to that effect that I'd, I'd love for you to uh, address and maybe expound on. Okay. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, this quote comes from uh, uh, paragraph 2267 in the catechism. And I'm going to read, read uh, it in tar- it's an entirely tarty. Uh, assuming that the guilty party's identity and responsibility have been fully determined, the judicial teaching of the church does not exclude recourse to the death penalty. If this is the only possible way to effectively defending human lives against the unjust aggressor. If, however, non-lethal means are sufficient to defend and protect people's safety from the aggressor, authority will limit itself to such means as these are more in keeping with the concrete conditions of the common good and more in conformity to the dignity of the human person. Today, in fact, as a consequence of these possibilities which the state has for effectively preventing crime, by rendering one who has committed 
an offense incapable of doing harm without definitively taking away from him the possibility of redeeming himself, the cases in which the execution of the, the offender is an absolute necessity are, quote, very rare, if not practically non-existent, uh, end of quote. And that last uh, line comes uh, from uh, St. Pope John Paul II's uh, encyclical Evangelicum Vitae of 1995. And that got incorporated into later editions of the Catechism to become official church teaching. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting to me uh, that we, we tend to think of this as a, uh, as most things in our, in our world, we tend to think of it as a political issue that you've got the right versus the left. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and rather than looking at it uh, independent of politics and looking at it uh, objectively and maybe even looking at it in a, in a broader sense, you know, I, you brought up something that I'd never considered before there, that one of the reasons that uh, St. Pope John Paul II wrote uh, that about the death penalty is watching the the, the rise of the, the bloodbath, as you called it, uh, in, in the Eastern Bloc. Uh, and remember that we are not a... Uh, a Western church. We are a worldwide church. We're a Catholic church, a universal church. And so uh, seeing how it was applied uh, there by an unjust government, by a, by maybe a corrupt government, um, realizing that there's a need to restrain even a just government because leaders change, mm-hmm. right? And what we've laid down as, as acceptable uh, for a just person, when an, an unjust person comes along, uh, all of a sudden is detrimental. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's correct. In that, uh, sometimes we look at for the for the state to carry out what we would often refer to. We're here in the, these issues as a matter of justice. That uh, justice demands that the life of the offender be taken, uh, or that or that God wills that this mm-hmm. uh, that this take place. Well, we have to be very careful about that, particularly from a Catholic perspective. I don't think any of us, uh, no matter what our political background, whether whether our, our religious background, if any, would think that the state exists today uh, to carry out divine retribution mm-hmm. or to be an instrument of, of God's divine justice. We don't see the role of the state as doing that. Rather, that we see the state as maintaining an ordered and just society uh, uh, and carrying out its responsibilities in that way. So we can't see the state as carrying out an act, uh, an act of justice on the on, on the part of God, regardless of how, how uh, horrific the, some of these crimes are. And so I have to be very clear about that. And also that uh, by taking the life of the offender, uh, the, the man or woman that's been, been convicted, uh, also that we do believe in redemption. We right. believe in the power of grace and of salvation, and also that, that uh, people can repent of their sins, no matter how horrific, mm-hmm. and can be forgiven by, by God. That's you know, the, the message of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It applies to everyone, not just, not, not just uh, the select few. You know, we even in thinking about uh, evangelism or, or interacting with uh, people around us, we may have heard the term, well, you know, there's nothing that you've done that takes you beyond the reach of God. Mm-hmm. But there's something in our mind, there's some switch in our mind that there is a level that 
we think that you're beyond the reach of God. Mm-hmm. Oh, once you've done this horrific thing, once you've been uh, so close with the devil, as it mm-hmm. were, mm-hmm. Uh, then now God can't reach you. And and yet that's not what our faith says. Exactly. Uh, our faith says that there is forgiveness from sin, that not only is there forgiveness from sin, there's deliverance from demons. Yes. Uh, and that a person who has done something so horrific, who uh, has been in so close communion, as it were, with uh, the demonic, uh, you know, sometimes we look at these cases and, and the only way to explain it is that it's a demonic activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have to remember, uh, that St. Paul tells us in Ephesians five, that we wrestle not with flesh and blood, mm-hmm. uh, but against, uh, principalities and rulers of this present darkness and, and the spiritual realm. Uh, and so to look at, uh, the offender, uh, who most certainly in, in many cases is an offender who has done something horrific, yet that's still a person made in the image of God, bearing the dignity given by that fact, and someone who's not beyond the reach of the cross. Right. And, that, and that's one of the great challenges for those uh, who are active in what we refer to as the pro-life movement. Mm-hmm. It, it's easy, particularly for us as Catholics or, or, or other Christians, uh, about the issue of abortion, mm-hmm. about the innocence of the life, the, the defending the weak from an unjust uh, aggressor, to look at in, in that way, but also at the same time having compassion on the women who are, uh, mm-hmm. who are being uh, thinking about having an abortion, uh, but also believing that they are not beyond redemption right. either uh, so we extend God's mercy uh, to them as well it's it's very easy to be pro-life in that uh, in, in that instance I think it's a greater challenge for us and I think that's where uh, Saint Pope John Paul II did challenge us as a church to extend that idea with a belief in the uh, of pro-life and the dignity uh, of every human life uh, from the moment of conception to the moment mm-hmm. of death regardless yeah. uh, I think as you said earlier uh, we don't forfeit our human dignity right uh now we can turn our back on it we can reject grace mm-hmm. uh we can we can we and, and therefore we there particularly from a catholic standpoint there's some pretty grave eternal consequences for that right. but the the challenge to extend god's grace and mercy uh and for us as the church to witness to that uh, even for those who've committed the the, the worst uh, acts of, of, the, of violent acts uh, certainly praying for their conversion one of the things that that i that we do when we're there at the before the front gate of the penitentiary uh is praying for the conversion of that person that man or woman that's on the gurney about to be executed that if they've not done so already uh, to uh offer a, an apology to those to the families of those that they have killed and ask for their mercy as well uh, I think that does can has the power the seeds of grace about the, the families of those who have had a loved one murdered uh, mm-hmm. uh, so they they don't they, they don't give in to hatred and hatred is poison to right. the soul uh, to, I, I pray that give give that family a reason to possibly forgive you if not now, sometime right. in the future so they are not trapped in that which does sometimes happen and but you also see people who are who are heroically virtuous mm-hmm. of those who have had a loved one that has been murdered uh, of forgiving 
uh, of, of the person that has committed that that act. Uh, so we have to be careful about that we don't give over to a, a, a bloodlust in in, yeah. in, in, in in the idea of seeking justice, that we're cheering when we hear someone's been executed, which I've seen uh, outside the front gate of the hmm. penitentiary. And you think about what that does to us as a society. We talk, you know, talk about the culture of life versus the culture of death. Mm-hmm. Uh, if uh, that, That's what we have to be, again, that 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 faithful prophetic witness the dignity of the human person across the board and there's hardly anybody else in terms of christianity that does that and that who is consistent yeah father thank you for coming on the show today we've been talking about the catholic response to the death penalty with father brian brooks of church of the madeline here in the tulsa area when we come back we're going to be giving away a rosary and a book from saint louis de montfort listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Today we've been talking about the Catholic response to the death penalty with Father Brian Brooks of Church of the Madeline in Tulsa, Oklahoma course we've got something to give away as always it is the month of may it's the month of mary and so we have a couple of rosaries and we're going to give away one of them uh, and you get to pick where there's a very masculine looking genuine juju bead wood rosary and there's also uh, a, a more feminine looking uh, kind of looks like pearls but i'm sure that it's not uh but got a lovely uh, silver chain pearl looking rosary and then with that we're going to be giving away the book by saint louis de montfort the secrets of the rosary all of that is care of catholic sacramentals.org they're wonderful supporters of outside the walls and we encourage you to go take a look at what they have to offer so get ready get by your phone uh, get ready to dial the phone number is 918-928-KPIM. That's 918-928-5746. And that's the number you're going to call to give the answer to the trivia question. Uh, so get by your phones as Father Brian Brooks brings us this week's trivia question. Yes, this refers back to the encyclical Evangelicum Vitae uh, by uh, St. Pope John Paul II. So the the the, the quiz question is which old testament reference does uh, john paul reference as an example of god's mercy extended to one who's committed the act of murder all right what old testament reference does saint pope john paul ii reference as an example of god giving mercy to someone committed murder you can answer that Give me a call, 918-928-KPIM, and we will send out this uh, beautiful rosary of your choice uh, and St. Louis de Montfort's The Secret of the Rosary. Now, we're going to continue this conversation on Facebook, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. You can connect with us on Twitter. The handle there is at outside the walls, or you can leave a comment on our comment line. It's that same number, 918-928-KPIM. I would love to hear your thoughts on this topic. Uh, When you do leave a message or when you uh, leave a comment on Facebook or Twitter, make sure that you let me know where you're listening, what station you're on. Of course, we are on nine stations all throughout the state of Oklahoma and and then the one station in Kentucky. Uh, Now, my goal long term is to be on the radio at least in every state that I've lived. So we still have to get New Hampshire and 
Iowa and Kansas and Texas on board. And then if we really wanted to get exciting, uh, I, I have lived overseas. And so, of course, they don't speak English where I lived, but I, I think that we could uh, make something work. In fact, this is not my first time on the radio. It's the first, it's the longest time I've been on the radio for sure. We've been on the air since November. Uh, but I had a show in college uh, up in Kansas for a while. Uh, mainly, I was just DJing. I was playing music uh, and not going on and on uh, on difficult topics. But I did get to have some radio experience there. And then I also had a radio experience uh, in Blagojevgrad, Bulgaria. And that's a story for another day. <laughs> but I was the only uh, English speaker. Uh, they let me have the airwaves after midnight. Uh, while I, I guess I only had taxi drivers that were probably still awake and listening to the show. But th- we can go on on that on some other day. Uh, I wanted to get back to one thing that Father Brian brought up just right at the end of that last break. And, and it's not the question of justice. It's not the question of what this person uh, who has committed such a heinous crime deserves. Uh, but it's the question of what does our demand for the death penalty due to our souls. Uh, he talked about a bloodlust that that I've seen, uh, you know, it's not really all that far off. I've seen it in people where there's this, this dehumanization of the person who did unhuman acts. Now, certainly there, there was, uh, the person was not humane uh, when they were engaged in the behavior that put them on death row. But we have to be conscious not only of what level of humanity they exhibited, but what level of humanity are we going to exhibit? How, how humane are we going to be? How are we going to, how is this going to affect uh, our spirits? Uh, and when we get so dug in uh, in our anger over, and sometimes righteous anger, uh, over something so horrific, uh, it begins in us to be a bitterness when we can't offer it to God, when we can't offer forgiveness on behalf of Christ, and we allow that anger to become a seed of bitterness, then it becomes poison to our souls. And so while there is, as Father Brian said, there is a time where the government has the legitimate right, and sometimes they even have the legitimate requirement to exercise for the safety of the population, to exercise the death penalty, those occurrences are rare if not practically non-existent. Now, when I say this, I've often gotten uh, some people really riled up, maybe a little bit even angry at me for suggesting such a thing. And they jump to the other side of, uh, well, you can't just let them go free. Well, there's a huge number of options between putting someone to death and letting them go free. There are legitimate ways to protect uh, the interests of society without putting someone to death, without taking away their ability to repent. And and I've heard some people say, well, yes, but have you seen uh, the action that they did? I mean, uh, this action is so horrific that there really is nothing else for them. They deserve death. Well, uh, I have news for you. Uh, According to scripture, each and every one of us deserves death. Uh, Romans says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And if we have an exception for, oh, well, well, in this case, this is so heinous, they deserve death. Uh, if, it, if our arguments against the death penalty don't work in the most extreme cases, then they don't work. Uh, either the person 
is made in the image of God and and as long as society is protected, we can preserve their life. Or that's not the case. At some point, we do become dehumanized, and then the state can do with us whatever they will. So these are obviously very difficult questions, and they're, they're not ones that are going to get answered quickly. Uh, but the, uh, I encourage you to wrestle with them. I encourage you to take them to prayer, to spend time asking God, what does my faith require of me on this issue? Tune in next week as we talk with Kristen Putnam. That's my wife. Uh, We're going to be celebrating our ninth anniversary, and so we want to do a show on marriage. Until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.